This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about the progress principle. Among the topics we'll look at are the groundbreaking study that led to a number of insights about motivation in the workplace, the concept of inner work life and why it's important to get right in any company, and why progress checklists and keeping daily journals can be powerful tools for managers looking to build high-performing teams. Dr. Teresa Amabule joins us today to discuss all that and more. Dr. Amabule is the Edsel Bryant Professor of Business Administration in the Entrepreneurial Management Unit at the Harvard Business School. She's also a Director of Research at the school, where she teaches courses on creativity, leadership, and ethics. Dr. Amabule has spoken to a range of groups around the world about her research, including giving a TEDx talk in 2011. She was also the host and instructor of Against All Odds, Inside Statistics, a 26-part instructional series originally broadcast on PBS. Dr. Amabule is the author of Creativity in Context, Growing Up Creative, and the book that this week's episode centers around The Progress Principle, Using Small Wins to Ignite Joy, Engagement, and Creativity at Work. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Amabulate. Thank you so much, Will. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you. So let's start off today talking a little bit about the study that you conducted that formed the foundation for the progress principle. Can you share with listeners a little bit of information about how many people participated and how information was gleaned? Well, my colleagues and I wanted to understand in a pretty deep and microscopic way what people experience as they go through their workday, especially when they're trying to get creative work done. And we decided that the best way to get at this would be to send people a daily confidential electronic diary uh, and ask them to fill it out. Um, it was brief, but we asked them to fill it out toward the end of their workday through the entire course of a creative project that they were working on. These were all people working inside business organizations. We recruited people from seven different companies in three different industries. And we recruited people who were working on project teams that were devoted to coming up with, with new ideas. These, these teams were doing the most innovative work inside their companies. Most of them were involved in new product development. Uh, some were developing new processes, uh, solving complex client projects, or coming up with new business strategies. But they were all supposed to do work that was novel and useful. The average project lasted for about four and a half months. We asked these people on these teams that were willing to participate in our study, we asked them to fill out this daily diary form that came in their email every day, Monday through Friday, throughout the course of the project. 
And we asked them not to talk to each other about what they were writing about in their diaries so that we could triangulate, so that we could get different viewpoints on what was going on and how it might be affecting them and their work. So we had a total of 238 professionals. These are knowledge workers inside these seven companies. They sent us a total of nearly 12,000 individual daily diary entries. So that's our that's our treasure trove. That's our database on which we we discovered the progress principle. And it led to some fascinating insights into something called inner work life. Can you explain what makes up our inner work life and why it's so important for companies and their employees? Inner work life is a combination of emotions, perceptions, and motivations that people experience as they react to and, and try to make sense of the events in their workday. So let me, let me decompose that a little bit. First of all, emotions are your, your emotional reactions to whatever's going on in your workday. Uh, they can be uh, intense or mild. It can be positive reactions, negative reactions. But we all have them all the time as we go through our workday. The second element is perceptions, and that's really the judgments and impressions that we form, our thoughts, uh, the, the meanings that we attach to things that happen. Uh, it could be um, impressions, perceptions about the organization, about our bosses, about our, our, our teammates, the people that we're working with most closely. It could be perceptions of our work or even of ourselves. And the third element is motivation. That's the drive to do what we're doing. Uh, we focus in our research particularly on intrinsic motivation. That's the motivation to do something because it's interesting, enjoyable, satisfying. It's personally challenging. There's also extrinsic motivation, which we also studied. Um, and that's being motivated by external things like, like promised incentives, rewards, competition, and so on. We focus on intrinsic motivation more because our previous research has shown that that is the kind of motivation that's most essential for creativity. But these three components, motivation, emotion, and perceptions, make up inner work life. They're really the subjective experience that flows through our hearts and minds every day as we're working. And you, you write, it, sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say it's really important for us as individuals because it, it, it makes up the, the, the fabric, the texture of our work days for ourselves. And inner work life is really important for each of us. Each of us can recall really wonderful inner work life days where we were really jazzed about what we were doing, where we had very positive impressions of the people we were working with, um, maybe even ourselves, uh, we might have been happy, proud of our work. And we can also very clearly remember awful inner work life days where we, we experienced something that made us feel sad or angry, frustrated, uh, maybe fearful, where we had negative perceptions of our bosses or our colleagues of the organization overall maybe, or of ourselves. And we had very low intrinsic motivation for what we were doing. We, we could care less about the work that we were doing. Those, those experiences are important to us in our lives. It's also important for companies, though. 
the quality of inner work life of their employees matters for companies. And I'm sure we'll get into that more as we continue talking, but let me just say that inner work life not only influences the individual, influences that individual's performance. Yeah, definitely. And and you write in the book about the inner work life effect, and you answered, I think, some of this in the last question, but it's about how happiness and creativity kind of go hand in hand. What is the inner work life effect, and how does that work? When we analyzed our our, our daily diary data, let, let me just describe actually a little bit more about the data that we got in these daily diaries. We asked people to, first of all, on the diary form, fill out these seven-point scales on their emotions that day, their motivations that day, their perceptions that day. So we had kind of a daily um, image, a daily CAT scan, if you will, of their inner work life. We then asked them to briefly describe one event that occurred that day that stood out in their minds. And we said it can be anything at all as long as it's relevant to the work or the project. We also collected separate data on the performance of these people. And we did that by asking their close colleagues and their supervisors on a regular basis. We, we, we got these data every month during the entire course of the time we were studying these people. We asked these, these ob- objective raters to rate that individual on their performance over the previous month. So we had this external performance data. And the inner work life effect is that on those days and those weeks and those months, when people were having the most positive inner work life, that is the most positive perceptions of of their organization and their colleagues and themselves, when they were having the strongest intrinsic motivation and when they were experiencing the most pleasant emotions, it was during those times that they were most likely to be creative. They were most likely to come up with new ideas, solve complex problems in creative ways. Not only that, they were also more likely to perform better on other dimensions, such as productivity, such as demonstrating their commitment to the work and being better colleagues to each other. Let me show you one of the most stark findings that we got. We found that when people were more creative when people were having better inner work life on one day, not only were they more creative that day, not only did they show a higher likelihood of coming up with that new idea or solving that complex problem that day, they were also more likely to be creative the next day, regardless of their emotions or their mood the next day. And this shows a very powerful carryover effect. It suggests that when when people are in a better inner work life state, some cognitive process gets set up where they're more likely to make new associations, to get new insights into things. And that can result in a, in a new solution or a new idea that day, or it can kind of incubate or marinate overnight and result in a creative idea the next day. And so let's talk a little bit about how to create that state of happiness in the workplace. The title of the book is The Progress Principle, and that's one of the main discoveries. Can you talk a little bit about that concept 
and and one of the most important parts of the progress principle is the necessity for meaningful work. So can you also define what makes for meaningful work? That's a big question, Will, but I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, well, the, the inner work-life effect was our first discovery, and that is that people are more creative and perform better when they have a more positive inner work-life state. So we then said, all right, if inner work-life is so important, what makes for good inner work-life? And to do that, we went into those diary stories that people told us about their days, those nearly 12,000 stories, and we analyzed every event that people reported in those diaries. And then we said, all right, let's look at their inner work life on these, these days and choose the very best inner work life days from the entire database. Let's look at people's best inner work life days and analyze the events that were happening on those days to see if we can understand what are the events that tend to lead to those great inner work-life states. We identified a relatively small set of events, positive events, that showed up repeatedly in these best inner work-life days. But of all of these positive events, there was one that stood out way above the others. It was much more prominent than anything else on the best inner work-life days. And that was simply making progress in meaningful work. Simply moving forward, feeling that you're getting somewhere on work that's meaningful to you. And I do want to say a few words about that last part, the meaningful work part. Because if people were making a lot of progress that is getting a lot done on something that they didn't care about, on something that they found meaningless, it did not really boost their inner work life. The inner work life effect really, uh, the progress principle, really requires that people feel that their work matters, that it's somehow contributing to something that they value. That's what meaningful work is. Um, one, one great example, it's kind of an extreme example, but I think it's a it's, it's very useful one, comes from that uh, Chilean mine crisis. I don't know if you remember, there was a collapse of a mine, a gold and copper mine in Chile sure. about five years ago. Yeah. There were 33 miners trapped more than a mile underground, half a mile, even more, from the mine's entrance. It was something like 17 days before there was even any sign that anyone had survived the collapse of that mine. But during those 17 days, the people above ground, those, those engineers and, those, and those, those technicians who were working so hard to get to these people, maintained their motivation. They, they worked around the clock under terrible conditions just to try to reach these, these trapped people. What kept them going during that time, if you listen to the interviews that were done with them during that time and afterwards, what kept them going was a sense of meaning in what they were doing. They knew that people's lives were in the balance, and not only the lives of those 33 men underground, but the lives of their families as well. As you know, the story had a great ending. They did discover that there were people alive down there, and it was something like 69 days later, they were able to 
bring every single one of them out alive, which was kind of a miracle. But that motivation of the people who were doing this work was absolutely crucial. Now, work doesn't have to be a matter of life and death for people to find meaning in it. We actually saw in our research that people could derive great meaning from knowing that they were creating a new product that would make a positive difference in the lives of customers or that they were doing something that would be an important boost to their company, to what their company was trying to accomplish, to where their company was trying to go. Sometimes the sense of meaning came from feeling that they were doing something that was important to society or to the local community. And sometimes it was at the very local level of feeling committed to their team, feeling that they were part of a great team, a great unit, and they wanted to prove what fabulous work they could do together. But there had to be some sense of meaning, some sense that what I'm doing matters beyond just the actions that I know I have to perform today. Okay, nice. And, and you write about ways for managers to encourage progress and meaningful work for their employees. And one of those ways is to perform is to perform or foster catalysts, which are actions that directly support work. Could you give a few examples of major catalysts that managers can use in the workplace to help their employees get positive results? There are two catalysts that stand out as being absolutely fundamental to support progress in the work. The first of these is having clear goals in meaningful work. And we've just talked about how important it is for people to find meaning in their work. They also have to have a sense of goal directedness. People need to know what they're working on, where they're trying to get get to, what they're trying to accomplish, and why it matters. That's the meaningfulness part. But at the same time, that second catalyst is necessary, which is autonomy. People need to know where they're going with the work, it's the clear goals, but they also have to feel that they have autonomy in deciding how to get there. They they have to feel that they can use their own specific skills, their knowledge, their own creativity to, to try to accomplish this meaningful goal. There are seven catalysts altogether, but let me just make it clear that none of these is going to sound exotic. None of these is going to sound like a huge revelation. In fact, when we tell managers what these catalysts are, they say, well, yeah. When we tell them the progress principle, they say, of course people feel good when they make progress. That's, um, you know, that's, that's not surprising. But what is surprising is that when you ask managers, how can you motivate people? How can you get people really excited about their work, keep them engaged in their work. Managers do not even think about facilitating progress. We did a survey study where we, we, we presented a, a set of five employee motivators to nearly 700 managers at different levels from companies around the world. And we said, just rank these five employee motivators in terms of how important you think they are in your toolkit as a manager. And these motivators included progress, facilitating progress in the work, but they also included the usual suspects of incentives and recognition and so on. And those things are all motivators. 
But we wanted to see if these managers would rank progress number one, because our research shows that not only is it number one in keeping people engaged in their work on a day-by-day basis, but it is number one by a landslide, way above everything else. Well, it turns out that these managers we surveyed did not rank progress number one. In fact, they ranked progress dead last, number five out of those five motivators. In fact, only 5% of these managers ranked progress number one. If they were making their rankings randomly, 20% of them should have ranked at number one, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. And I think it's because they simply don't understand that they, the managers, the leaders, have a very important role to play in people getting their work done, getting their most important work done every day. Managers can do a lot through these catalysts if they pay attention to what people need. So in addition to the clear goals and meaningful work and autonomy, the other catalysts are help with the work when the work is difficult, giving people access to the expertise that they might need or, or yourself as a leader helping people. Sufficient resources to get the work done. Not lavish, but sufficient. Learning, establishing an atmosphere of learning from failure learning from mistakes rather than just covering it up or castigating people when something goes wrong. Facilitating an open idea flow within the group, between groups, even with outsiders. And finally, sufficient time, allowing sufficient time for people to explore for new solutions. But interestingly, not too much time because there does have to be some sense of urgency which adds to the meaningfulness, the importance of the work. So those are the seven catalysts. If you'd like to ask me a little bit more detail about any of them, I'd be happy to. But my guess is that you probably want to move on to some other questions. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, but a related question. So, you know, you've talked about giving people the resources and the, you know, time and the free flow of ideas and I think that feeds into what you call or write about as the nourishment or the nourishment factor. So it's another key part of managing employees. Can you share with listeners what that is and the four major nourishers? Yes. So we've talked about the importance of inner work life for individuals and for the for the company itself. And we've talked about the importance of making progress. Inner work life and progress feed each other. When people have great inner work life, they're more likely to be creative and productive in their work, which is making progress in the work, which will then further boost intrinsic motivation. So it's important not only to catalyze progress in the work, but it's also important to nourish inner work life, to nourish the human spirit. The major nourishers that we found being used by the most effective managers in our research were number one, respect and recognition. Just showing people basic respect as individuals and as contributors to the work, recognizing them when they put out a good effort for the work, either recognizing them uh, publicly or recognizing them privately. That could have a huge positive effect on inner work life. The second nourisher is encouragement when the work is difficult. Expressing a sense of confidence. No, this is really difficult. I understand that. 
I believe that you can do this. You can you can solve this problem. You individual, you collectively as a team. Emotional support. If someone reveals that they're struggling personally or professionally with something difficult, it can be very supportive, very meaningful for individuals to just have that acknowledged at work. It's wonderful if people can say, uh, is there anything we can do to help? But simply to have people say, I understand that, that things are really tough for you right now, and and um, I just want you to know that I care, that in itself helps people to feel supported and to improve in a work life. And finally, a camaraderie, uh, a sense of affiliation and trust, um, mutual respect, within people who are working closely together, kind of a sense of bonding, which usually doesn't happen unless people know each other as individuals a little bit outside of the basic work context, even if it's still at work, but, you know, some some way of people interacting in a social sense, getting to know each other as people. Yeah. One of our previous guests, Mike Shapolsky, said that the two most powerful sentences in the English language are, Thank you for your amazing work, and what kind of pizza do you like? Which I thought were uh, was <laughs> could be a yeah. nice way to to nourish your your employees. Okay, so yeah. so let me ask about tangible ways as we get toward a close for managers to ensure that employees' inner work lives stay positive. You make a couple of recommendations. One is keeping a daily progress checklist, and the other is keeping a daily journal. How can those tools be used to ensure that your employees have a positive inner work life? And what are maybe some key questions that first-time journal keepers would want to cover as they're just getting started? For managers, uh, using a daily checklist can can be very useful in helping them to pay attention. You might remember a few minutes ago that I said we were astonished at how few managers appreciated the importance of facilitating the progress of their subordinates. And we think it was really an attentional issue that they didn't they didn't realize that there are things that they could pay attention to and pretty easily change, modify in some way to 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 make it more likely that people will make progress in their work. The daily progress checklist can help you to, to maintain that attention because let's face it, managers have a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to focus on, and many of them are external to the organization or certainly external to the team that the, that the manager might be leading. The daily progress checklist asks ask the manager to think about, you know, did my team make progress today on its most important work? Um, did they have setbacks? By the way, setbacks were the number one most prominent incident on people's worst inner work life days. So it's important to both, you know, facilitate progress and to and to help avoid um, setbacks in the work in the work that might be preventable setbacks. Mm-hmm. So so paying attention to those catalysts, paying attention to first of all whether people are making progress on what's most important. And then thinking about the catalysts that are supporting them. Are there any catalysts that are notably absent? Are there inhibitors? That's the opposite of catalysts. Are there inhibitors that are getting in the way of progress? Just look at those, and we, we, have, we have a checklist on this in our book, The Progress Principle. Look at those and uh, spend 
even two or three minutes a day looking at that and saying, all right, there's something that my team needs that they're not getting, or there's something that's standing in the way. Maybe it's a lack of clarity of goals, or they've gotten confused about why their work matters, how it matters, or maybe they don't have access to sufficient resources. Um, is there something that I, as the manager, can do to grease the wheels for them to get those resources? Do I need to talk to them about how this shifted goal that we now have still has great meaning for the organization or for our customer and help them understand that? The daily checklist also asks the manager to think for a moment about any signs that inner work life might not be as positive for people on the team as it could be and to and to take action there. All we do is ask managers to look at that for a few minutes, look at that checklist for a few minutes and think of one thing they can do, just one thing that they could do the next day that would make progress more likely or improve in a work life for people on the team mm -hmm. and then and then try to take that action for the managers themselves as individuals it's not a good idea to keep their own personal work journal that can have a number of positive effects first of all i recommend keep track of whatever progress you made you the manager whatever progress you made that day in your work it may have been a day full of frustrations where you felt you were hardly able to concentrate on anything that was on your to-do list, but it's likely that you did make progress on something that day. Keep track of it, even if it looked like a small step forward, because we found that even those small steps forward can have a really positive impact on inner work life. We call that the power of small wins. So write down even your small wins. Then think about what might have stood in the way of you making progress that day and how you might have dealt with it differently, how you might be able to support your own progress the next day going forward. I think it's really important not only to keep the journal, but to look back at your prior journal entries. I've been doing this for a few years in a format that allows me to every day of the year, before I write my journal entry, I can look back at what was happening a year ago today and what was happening two years ago, what was happening three years ago. And that gives me a great sense of cumulative progress in my work. It also gives me a sense of how I solved problems in the past, which is like its own little treasure trove of, of tools that I can use. Yeah. Very nice. Well, Dr. Immobile, that's a great note to close on. Some tangible advice for all our listeners out there to put into practice in their daily lives. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great talking with you about how to ensure that the inner work life is positive so that you can produce your best and most creative work. It was my pleasure, Will, and I wish, I wish everyone listening well in making their own progress in meaningful work. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Teresa Amabile, you can follow her on Twitter at at Teresa Amabile. That's at T-E-R-E-S-A-A-M-A-B-I-L-E. -E. If you'd like to learn more about the Progress Principle, you can visit the book's website at www.progressprinciple.com. There you can buy the book and access a number of related resources including articles on the psychology of everyday work life, 
inner work life and performance, and creativity, innovation, and motivation. Thanks once again to Dr. Teresa Amabile for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode, our 75th, when we're excited to welcome Three Pillars CEO David DeWolf back into the studio to talk about this year's Fortune Brainstorm Tech Conference and much more. We'll talk with David about some of the topics that were on everyone's minds at this year's Fortune Brainstorm Tech Conference, why he thinks software will continue to play an important role for companies of all shapes and sizes, and the importance of creating a great culture in order to create a great company. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine Podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.threepillarglobal.com.